tune in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Kelly Bolin. Kelly is the owner and director of Animal Alliances. Kelly has a master's degree in animal behavior and is a certified animal behavior consultant and a professional member of the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. She is also a professional member of the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. Her goal as a companion animal behavior consultant is to improve the human-animal bond by increasing her client's understanding of animal behavior and behavior modification. Kelly offers private behavior consultations to pet owners experiencing behavior problems with their pets. She teaches a variety of dog training classes at her Northampton facility and consults with animal shelters all over the country. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thanks for having me, Stacy. So how did you get started in animal welfare? Well, you know, the, my background is I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife biology, and I worked in the zoo field for a bunch of years. And working in the zoo field, whether you know or not know, is kind of emotionally draining because you have all these animals living in cages. And But I was so interested in their behavior and started studying uh, primates, which is what the main species I was working with. And that led me to go to graduate school. And I went to graduate school and I studied animal behavior. My master's degree is actually in abnormal behavior in captive primates. <laughs> and But when I finished graduate school, I decided that I did not want to go back into the zoo field. And that uh, made me uh, look around at what other options I had. And I entered at that point the shelter field, the animal shelter field, where I felt the animals in the shelter were under the same kind of stressors as zoo animals in, in captivity, because stress of captivity affects all animals. And so I've been working with the animal shelter field for the last 17 years. And um, I focus on and trying to help improve the behavior and lives of the animals, both living in homes as well as in shelters. So did you work in the, how long did you work in the sheltering field for? So I'm still in the sheltering field. So I, I was the first behaviors hired by the Massachusetts SPCA. Mm. And this was about, again, 17 years ago. And this was before shelters were hiring trainers and behaviorists, uh, which is, is getting to be more and more common now. And I was hired ori originally because they had a lot of problem with aggressive dogs and they needed to have somebody that could focus on, on that problem. But once there, I started programs to enrich the lives of all the animals in the shelter, try to educate the public, try to educate staff and volunteers on humane handling of the animals, which is, which is a huge thing. And so I was with the MSPCA for about five years, and then I left the MSPCA and opened my own business, Animal Alliances, which I still currently do. And with Animal Alliances, I, as you said in the intro, I see private pet owners who are experiencing behavior problems with their cats or dogs, and I also consult with animal shelters all over the country. And so that's what I do. There was a three-year stretch where I um, taught at Cornell 
veterinary school. I was the director of behavior programs for the shelter medicine program there. And that was a, a, a great time in my life to be in academia and teach vet students about animal behavior. But now I'm back doing my thing with my own business. Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, it's great to know that the shelter medicine program, you know, committed such a large uh, portion towards animal behavior. That's just phenomenal. Um, And to focus on that. Do you find in working with private pet owners that that you have in your clients, um, how many, like what percentage of them are for cats or dogs? Yeah, you know, most of my, I'd say about 80% of my client base is uh, dog issues. I specialize in aggression in dogs, but about 20% cats. And I'm one of the few behaviorists, at least in Massachusetts, that work with both dogs and cats. And so I get a lot of cat calls. Um, I, I work with people who are, you know, experiencing behavior problems. And of course, my goal is always to help improve the human animal bond, improve the animal's life, the human's life, but also to prevent them from giving up on the animal and either throwing it outside or surrendering it to the shelter. And so I do get a lot of calls for cats. And the, of course, the most common call is inappropriate elimination. But I do also get a lot of uh, calls on aggression, both to humans and to other cats in the household. So those are the things that, that I mostly deal with, with, with owned cats. And uh, just for our knowledge, and obviously I know you, you can't go into great specifics without knowing a specific case, but do you have any sort of simple tips for people who are having any problems with inappropriate uh, elimination in the house? Yeah, you know, I actually like these cases because I feel like a detective when (laughs) I'm doing an inappropriate elimination case because it's almost always environmental. You know, there's something going on for the cat. And oftentimes it it can be a social component, meaning that another cat in the house and there's causing some problems. But, you know, I like to, you have to just run through things about the litter box and how big is it and what kind of litter is there and where is it located and how often do you clean it. And, you know, it's like this detective work where you're asking a billion questions. And I can usually figure out what's going on for the cat. And I, you know, I feel really proud of the fact that I, I ask the right questions and can give people strategies and improve the situation. I've actually, the one and only time some client sent me flowers was a woman who had an inappropriate eliminating cat and I fixed the problem for <laughs> sent flowers. Well, I mean, compare that to the various cleaning costs. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through hiring companies to come and clean my wall-to-wall carpeting and all that kind of stuff. So flowers, that's a cheap date. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. But yeah, I mean, in terms of that, I mean, I make sure people have a a large enough litter box that the cat feels comfortable and feels like they can do their business. A lot of litter boxes are, you know, too small for the cat's preference. And of course, we have to talk about the type of litter. People always buy litter that's designed for humans and not for cats with all the different scents and and different textures and things. Placement of the litter box is always an issue. And, you know, so just trying to go through those things. And of course, we know cleaning is the number one thing. Who likes to scoop out the litter box? But a lot of people, if you just scoop the box every day, you don't have a problem. And so they don't really realize how important it is and how fastidious cats are about about that and, and how they want a nice clean toilet, as do we. Yeah, those are all very good points. And then there's also the the covered litter box versus the uncovered one. And, you know, there's so many furniture pieces out there now that you can really hide your litter box pretty well. But you're not only hiding it from yourself, but you're also hiding it from the cat. 
Well, yeah, and the other uh, the analogy I make, which really hits home for people, is I ask them how they feel when they have to go into a porta potty. <laughs> Good point. Okay. And so, you know, you avoid the porta potty at all costs, unless you absolutely need to use it. But that's what a, a covered box can be for a cat. And so they, their sense of smell is so much more acute than ours. Humans have 5 million scent receptors, but a cat has 67 million scent receptors. So if it smells bad to you, you can only imagine how it smells to the cat. Hmm, that's interesting. I never, never knew that. As, and as they get older, do their senses become less like in adults? Well, they, they probably become a little bit less as they age, just like we do. We start losing our vision a little bit and our hearing. And the same thing happens with animals, but not to the extent that it would be, oh, I don't care if my litter box is dirty anymore. Yeah. So you've also might have some possible ideas, but my cats, I have two cats, so we'll use my cats as a sort of case study. And I have one cat that used to be indoor-outdoor. Now he's indoor-only since we moved up here to Vermont, and there's just so much wildlife. I decided to make him an indoor-only cat. My other cat is a a semi-feral who pretty much stays in the basement the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, My primary cat likes it that way. So when she comes up, he tends to chase her back downstairs. So she's really inactive and she's quite on the rotund side. We would call her sort of a nice little watermelon with legs. Uh Um, So I would say she probably is lacking in quite a few like enrichment things for her in, in her downstairs area. It's a finished floor and everything. My son's bedroom is down there. But um, would you have any ideas to help sort of stimulate cats that are indoor only all the time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a big problem because a lot of times people call me with behavior problems in their cats. And part of the part of the problem and part of the solution is making sure that they get enough mental and physical stimulation, which they're lacking. And so one of the things that really can help cats a lot, which people don't think about, is providing them with an opportunity to search and find their food because cats are hunters. And so here we are, we have a cat in a house, he's a little hunter, but what do we do? We have a bowl of food that he can just walk over to and get for free. And so one of the best enrichment um, strategies you can have for your cat is making them search for their food. So you put little piles, you know, all around in different places and you change the locations every day. And so the cat actually has to search for their food. Another enrichment strategy is uh, auditory stimulation. So when I worked in the zoo field, one of the enrichments I gave the primates, uh, there was a big primate building and there was a catwalk along the the top that I had access to all of the cages. And I used to play a rainforest CD up there. And it had all different sounds of different rainforest animals and all of the primates would react to it. Looking at that strategy, what I what I do with cats, both in the zoo as well as in your home, is just playing just for a couple minutes every day or every other day, playing a CD of bird songs, because bird sounds are biologically significant to a cat. And so the idea is some auditory stimulation, just get that brain stimulated by listening to bird songs. So that's really great. Visual stimulation. I know you said she's in the basement, but for for a lot of people, I suggest they put bird feeders outside of the windows for the cats to watch the birds. People are always worried that their cat is going to be too frustrated, but I can tell you that most cats will just sit there all day long watching the birds. Mm. But in your case, when you have a little rotund watermelon with legs... (laughs) 
Um, you really got to get this kitty moving too. Yep. So feeding her and feed her balls that have that roll as she's eating. So she has to kind of move in order to get her food. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great strategy. And play stimulation, feather dancers or laser pointers, get her moving. But yep. well, since I mentioned the laser point, one thing I just want to mention to everybody is cats really love the laser pointer. But the problem with the laser pointer is it can add to frustration in your cat because Basically, they're chasing a little prey item, but then all of a sudden the prey item disappears just, you know, when you turn the laser pointer off. So what I suggest people do when they're playing with a laser pointer is make sure that when you're ready to end the game, you point that end of the, that you point the laser onto a toy that the cat can then capture. So basically, you're having the cat chase this prey item all around the house for 10 minutes or whatever, and then you land it on a a catnip mouse or something, and the cat will pounce on it. And so then the cat feels satisfied that they actually caught the prey. And now, let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. What are your thoughts on like using catnip? I my one cat that responds to catnip, my watermelon cat, she wouldn't even know it existed. Yeah, only about 60% of cats have the receptors for catnip. If they are receptive to catnip because they have the receptor for it, then it can be a great enrichment strategy. That said, some cats get overly stimulated by catnip, and if there's cat issues in the house and you give catnip and the one cat gets overstimulated and goes and attacks the other cat, then that's going to be problematic. But some cats just kind of eat it and mellow out. So you have to look at whether or not they respond to it, number one, and then what the manifestation of, of the response is and make sure that it's healthy for the cat is and any other cohabitants that might be living with. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, when Hooch has catnip, he sometimes gets a little kind of crazy. So I definitely have to be careful about that. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I wanted to mention is, is clicker training. And I don't know if you've, if you've uh, experienced any clicker training with your cats. Um, do you know what clicker training is about? Uh, yes, we actually, we, we discussed it in an earlier uh, episode with the folks at the Jackson Galaxy Foundation. Oh, excellent. Yes. So, you know, clicker training is also, it's a great way to train any animal. I used clicker training all the time in the zoo. Of course, the, the, the um, practice started with the marine mammals in the early 60s. And clicker training is just marker-based training, and it's a great outlet for cats. Cats can be trained to do anything a dog can be trained to do, and clicker training is just such an effective method to do so. So for your cat, for any other cats out there that need to move, you know, just having them touch a target stick and moving the target stick around the room so she has to go from one place to the other is another great way to get her a little bit of exercise. So, you know, with that, I have to talk about diet a little bit too then with my 
my watermelon girl. So you're talking about having her work to get her food, which I think is great. And I've never used puzzle feeders or anything like that. So I'll definitely look into those types of products. But in terms of like what foods that she should eat, I should only have wet food down and not have her have any access to dry food other than through the puzzle feeders. Yeah, I mean, the, the, basically what I do with all the animals I work with, now this is true in the zoo as well as owned animals, both dogs and cats, I don't believe we should ever be feeding them in bowls. I think feeding animals in bowls is a wasted opportunity to enrich their brains. In the wild, animals search for their food. And what I learned in the zoo is, you know, these animals want to work. And if you put a pile of food in front of a primate or you hide the food and they have to look for it or work to a devoid device to get it, they're going to choose to work for their food. And the same is true of our animals. And so what I like to do is make sure that all of their food comes in some kind of enrichment device or hidden around the environment. So even the wet food you can stuff inside, they make little baby Kongs for cats. You know, you can stuff it inside a little baby Kong and and make her work to get even her wet food. Hmm. Yeah. And, and in terms of diet and, and when you have a cat who's, on, you know, who's obese and, and needs to watch what they eat or you have a cat on a special medical diet, you just use their food for enrichment. I mean, that's the key. You don't have to give them extra treats. You just use their food. You just deliver it in a more enriching way. That'd be great. Kelly, would you be willing to prepare a short list of some of these items for us that we could put in the show notes? Oh, absolutely. I actually have something I could I can send you and you can you can just copy it right out of there. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about the shelter work you're currently doing and you have done in the past. Do you do one-on-one consulting with shelters? Yeah, so I do a couple different things. I go into shelters, um, again, all over the country. Shelters will consult with me. I'll go in. I set up behavior programs in the shelter to try to improve the lives of the animals while they're there. I also educate the staff about the animals, both dogs and cats, and we're talking about cats today, you know, a lot of people don't understand cats, and um, it's really important that they understand who they are in order to give them the best care. So I, I educate them about who cats are and and why captivity is so hard for cats, and, and then provide them with strategies to improve the welfare of the cats while they're there in terms of stress reduction, enrichment, training, behavior modification when appropriate. I actually was the author of the chapter on training and behavior modification in shelter cats for the ASPCA's new textbook, Animal Behavior for Shelter Veterinarians and Staff, which, which is more of a textbook for shelters. But, but that's what I focus on. I also do a two-day seminar that I bring all over the country and shelters from all over the region will come to the venue and, and I give a two-day seminar on all things behavior, uh, taking care of cats and dogs. And some of the things, the tips that you may be providing for the shelters may also be applicable to the foster home organizations, the smaller, more grassroots organizations, and then even those that are operating like as more like sanctuaries or there are many of us in this field who tend to have quite a few cats, you know, at their homes too. Absolutely, and it's all relevant. And, and it, anything I say about shelter animals goes for for <laughs> owned animals as well. And I and I have a lot of cats myself. I have five in the house. I have two ferals outside, and you know the ferals are in their own little. They have their own little house. They have their own little fenced-in area with the perfect cat fence, which is wonderful to give your cats outdoor access. But yeah, everything is relevant in terms, especially when we're talking about enrichment, 
and stimulating the animals and stress reduction. You know, one of the biggest things that I tell shelters, it's, it's my, my must do. This is the thing that if, when I leave your shelter, this is the one thing you must do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is provide every single incoming cat with a hide box because mm-hmm. we know that that is their species typical coping mechanism when they're stressed and if we provide them with a place to hide it really helps them adjust to the environment and so many shelters don't even think about that because again they don't understand who cats are and so it, just that little change can improve the lives of the cats in the shelter and then you know when you give that advice you you also can t- carry that over to adopters and make sure you tell the adopters and this is what I consult the shelters about that you know, the cat is going to hide for three days and you're going to leave the cat alone and let them adjust to the environment. You don't pull them out from under the bed and just explain to them why hiding is so important for cats. And one other thing we had talked about before we started recording the show, we were talking about um, as a behaviorist coming into the shelters, you've actually turned into a pretty strong advocate for return to field. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I first got into the shelter field, Community cats were brought in and they um, did not make it out. And, and then so now with, with the return to field programs, we're saving so many more cats. And what I see in some shelters that I go into, they're still bringing free roaming cats into the shelter. They're putting them in cages. And that's the last place these animals should be. This is just not humane housing for them. And so I still encourage shelters every day to um, start their own community cat program where they're returning to field. And, you know, in some communities, I was actually just in a community in Florida last week, and it is currently illegal for the shelter to put the cats back out. And so helping the shelters work with their, their governmental agencies that make these regulations and explaining why it, it actually helps all around. And so, yeah, it is still an issue. In some parts of our country, it's not. In other parts of the country, it's still a big issue. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I, it's a big question, that whole concept about legislation and how it affects cats. And I'm sure that when the legislation was created, that there was, you know, all positive intentions behind it, but it can get spun in such a way that it actually can hurt progressive growth and programs. Absolutely. Yes. How can people find you, Kelly? I can be found pretty easily if you Google me. I've been around a long (laughs) time, but my business is named Animal Alliances and I'm on Facebook under Animal Alliances. I also have a web web page, animalalliances.com. And so certainly, again, just Google Kelly Bolin or Animal Alliances and you'll find me if, if Google's not too old-fashioned for people <laughs> these days, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, so I take phone calls and emails from people all over the country. I mean, obviously, an in, in-person uh, consult can only happen if, if they're local. But I do, especially for cats, I do a lot of phone consultations with cats because I just had a phone consultation the other day with a woman in Nevada because she just needed help with this new cat she brought home wasn't getting along with her existing cat she did not want to return it to the shelter and so we did a phone consult and so I offer that um, I have lots of information on my website about cat behavior and behavior problems in cats 
And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I mean, just the, my last closing point is just to make sure people understand that cats are intelligent beings and that they deserve more than just sitting around our house looking pretty, that they really need a mental and physical stimulation to be healthy, just like we do. And so I always encourage everybody to uh, provide their cat with, with these things so that they have a nice, healthy life. Kelly, that's great. It's an excellent way to end the show. And I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Excellent. I would love to come back. Thanks so much, Stacey. Thank you for listening to Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 